so the story would start with this group of young people that uh, got this job at this weird like warehouse or office building that's like pretty much abandoned, and they've been hired to like I don't know put up shelves or move something around something something like that. It's but it's a very strange place. They have to drive a while. Maybe they're college students. Maybe they have to dr- they have to drive a while in this weird direction to get to this place, and uh, and it's weird because there's really no one else around. There was like one person showing them how to do, you know, building the shelves or whatever, but then there's really no one else in this entire complex, so they find it very strange. And uh, since there's no one supervising them, they start to like sort of like wander off and explore the rest of this place, this building, and uh, they, they, they wind up in these weird tunnels. There's like water, and uh, they they follow it. You know, this this takes place over the course of, you know, several days. Like at first they find this this weird entrance. And again, there's no one watching over them. There's no video cameras. There's no nothing. And so they're like, they get prepared. They get, you know, powerful flashlights. And they, they go into these tunnels and uh, in this weird building. And eventually they get to this huge space, which is what would be the uh, the reception plaza, right? And uh, even though it was dark out when they, you know, when they went to work, it was, uh, this was sort of like, you know, it probably would be like in the wintertime. So it was like after six or seven o'clock at night, but it's already dark out. And they come to this reception chamber, this huge space. uh, And it's light, there's light streaming in from the, it's it's like a huge, almost uh, massive interior space with skylights and windows and they're like, what the hell? How can it be daytime? It was nighttime before. And this is this huge space that is uh, incredibly decorated in what looks like sort of a psychedelic motif. Right? Just imagine if sort of like uh, the the Yellow Submarine cartoon was, was used as the design reference, for example. All sorts of crazy colors and patterns, psychedelic, like Peter Max type type stuff. Um, this massive space, right? And they're just stunned at seeing this. Like, what the heck is this? How could this... Where is this? How could this be? Um, and that's the beginning of it. So that that would be... That that, that was the inspiration for today's show uh, title. Uh, Reception Plaza, scene one, right? And I think it's because I was talking so much about the Beatles recently. You know, we've had uh, two weeks now of the Beatles as our topic on Overnightscape Central. And uh, last weekend, or last week, I actually, no, just last week, not last weekend, um, I did about 45 minutes on the Beatles and mentioned this theory, which is the basis of this story. Um, And then just the other day, over the weekend, I I did part two of the Beatles, but I I didn't realize, I, I, I was just, I kept going and going. I had so much to say about the Beatles. I wound up recording two hours about the Beatles. Two additional hours about the Beatles. Listen, I have a lot to say about the Beatles, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, on the, uh, the the second one, you know, I got to I came to some sort of ideas that I thought would be really cool for this story. So they find this amazing place, right? All decorated in in the late '60s psychedelic style, and like banners that say "Welcome" and all this other stuff. And as they uh, start investigating it, right, they, um, they're they able to find enough stuff or clues to kind of figure out that 
this was uh, from about 1970 and was the place where um, the aliens or the, those from outside of our world were going to uh, 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 welcome us into the interdimensional society, right? The idea that right, our world is one of many worlds that are interconnected through dimensional passageways, right? And so hundreds, if not thousands, or tens of thousands of worlds, each of them potentially inhabited by intelligent humanoid beings. Um, very similar to the science fiction tropes of uh, multiple planets and humanoid alien races, as you see in Star Trek and Star Wars. But that this actually was the case, but there's no space involved. It's all of these interdimensional connections, right? And I think the characters would first imagine that these connections are space warps, right? Uh, wormholes, what have you, so you can travel interstellar distances, hundreds of light years in a moment, kind of as was described in, uh, what was that that children's book, uh, Wrinkle in Time, you know, how you could sort of bend space so you could travel uh, a thousand light years in a second because space is bent. But then they start to realize that, no, it's not like that. The distances being traveled are like inches. Uh, all these worlds are all stacked right next to each other in a way that, you know, under our current paradigm is kind of hard to imagine. How, you know, how could all these worlds be connected like this? So I think that would be a really cool start to the story. And then their investigation sort of reveals that um, and this is my theory with the Beatles, too, that, uh, right, the situation that the world we're living on is that we were, um, our, our world particularly was uh, changed at some point so that the information about the other worlds was not completely destroyed because if you look at all of the, uh, here on Earth, right, our our uh, mythologies, right, legends, uh, uh, folklore, etc., all over the world, from all parts of history, uh, completely always talk about there being other fairies and centaurs and dryads and heaven and Asgard and Midgard and Muspelheim and Niflheim and endless alternate worlds and, and, and endless intelligent humanoid races, right, which is described in our own history, but which, uh, from our current perspective in the 21st century, are considered that there's no truth to any of those uh, stories. They're all made up. There's no truth to it, what they're talking about. All the people on Earth in all the different parts of the world came up with the same stories, came up with the same ideas. It's all fake, right? <laughs> But the idea is why. Why, if the information was available to us, and maybe if it was legitimate, why was it suppressed, right? To the point that we were convinced that we were living on a, a, a giant ball floating in a cosmic void. And uh, if there's even any possibilities of there being 
other intelligent races, they would have had to travel vast interstellar distances in some sort of vehicle to get here. So the big question is, why has our world been changed like this to the point that we're not allowed to know and, more importantly, not allowed to go to these other worlds, right? Have to stick to our one world when there's so many better worlds out there that we could, we could check out and maybe move to, you know? Um, so all the pieces of the, in the story, all the pieces of this puzzle would start coming together. I, 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 you know, this is a theory that I've been working on for a long time. Uh, I really, you know, I think it would make a great story. I don't think it's necessarily something that, I, you know, I like the idea of it. I just don't think that there's any way of currently of seeing if there's any validity to it. I mean, clearly we have the uh, slowly increasing uh, information about UFOs coming out from the U.S. government, at least, uh, where the consensus is that there are actually these, what they're now calling UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena. There's seeming to be objects or something that fly around that we have no understanding of, but that have, have been observed many, many times, which implies visitors from some other place, you know. It could be interstellar or it could be interdimensional. That, so that's something that we have that sort of implies there's something going on. But of course it's not conclusive. So as the story develops, it would be basically uh, really the whole, the, the reason behind what's happening in this world is the nature of the human race which was, you know, and this would be something that, this would be like a TV series, right? And uh, it would be like each episode they would investigate more and more of this, right? Um, that the human race was uh, essentially like in a genetic experiment gone wrong and uh, was going to be completely shut down, the experiment, but then they, they found that, right... We are based, the humans were based on uh, this more advanced race of beings known as Anunnaki. And yet the humans were diminished in almost all ways. Their intelligence, their size, their lifespan, their creativity were all sort of stunted uh, as an offshoot race in this experiment. But still contained vestiges of the original Anunnaki uh, mind style, so it was decided that though this was an, uh, an unfortunate genetic experiment, that the specific experience you could have as a human being living in this world was considered to be interesting and worthwhile. So they set this particular place up to. Uh, allow human beings to thrive, right? But they found that humans, knowing that they are the uh, diminished cousins of this much greater race of beings, the knowledge of that made made people feel unworthy and upset and uh, did not, you know, people were Right when you find out about this, well, you're like, well, I don't want to be human. I want to be Anunnaki. And you know, well, how did I become human? Did I incarnate here? Can I incarnate? Can I 
get reborn as an Anunnaki? Why would I want to be a human, right? If human, if being a human is cool, then being an Anunnaki must be much better because they just have are much better at everything. So they decided to create a scenario in which humans did not know about the other beings. Of course, we still know about the Anunnaki because we have religions and mythologies, right? Beyond the monotheism, much of the older religions talked about groups of gods who were much more humanoid um, and uh, our relationship with that race of beings is what is represented in most world religions in the past. Even in monotheistic religions, they talk a lot about these alternate humanoid beings. You know, in in uh, you know the Abrahamic religions, you have uh, you know angels and demons. You know, in terms on uh, and Nephilim and and other kinds of beings in uh, Elohim in uh, you know the Christian and uh, and Jewish side. And then you had interestingly in uh, the Islamic side, they have Ifrit, a race of a race of beings that instead of being made of like of like earth they're made out of fire they're sort of these humanoid fire beings the ifrits or th- that's what genies right G- jinn jinn right why did i say ifrit i think ifrit's something different jinns that's where the word genie comes from right just to say that our actual world that we're actually living in has a lot of these clues but the consensus is that all of this stuff was just made up by people in the past and there's no truth to it right Anyway, in the story, back to the story, <laughs> right, they find out that, right, being a human being with a full knowledge of other worlds and other races uh, is really not very rewarding because it makes humans very jealous and envious of the other beings and what they have. So creating a scenario where humans are convinced that all that stuff doesn't exist makes for a much more robust and appropriate environment for human beings to live, right? We've been completely convinced that we're sort of isolated on this, uh, this island earth, right? This big blue marble. And as far as we know, we are the biggest and the best and the smartest type of creature out there. This type of world, then, is where humans can thrive without the knowledge of what perhaps is really going on. So, in the story, they discover this welcome plaza kind of place, this reception plaza, and uh, it seems that there had been some sort of plan to uh, finally reveal to the, the humans on Earth that they are part of this much larger system of worlds to finally tell the truth. But clearly, it, that was 1970, so the whole thing was canceled. So that's where the investigation starts. I think this would be a really cool show. Obviously, this is a frivol. This is, this is one of my frivols. An idea, <coughs> an idea where stating the idea is the final product. I like frivols. So then in this show, there would be a band that would clearly be based on the Beatles, but it would, it would have a different name so that it, this, this would just be fictional. This other group, it, it, it was found that when there was this plan to open up the gates of the world in 1970, 
that those in charge of the project wanted to help prepare the entire human race for this very shocking news and this moment where the world would be opened up. So they embarked on a a decade-long project to alter human society and human culture more more specifically through uh, the arts, especially through music, right? Popular music. And they chose... They, they worked with multiple groups, but they chose one group, the, the Beatles-like group, as the main group and started to, um, you know, provide them music from other dimensions and motifs from other dimensions and um, sort of guaranteed that this group would become the biggest in the world and then start to change the message to be more about uh, the psychedelic more about all about love, right? Expanding your mind and all that stuff to get the world ready for these gates to be opened. And um, so the characters in the story would be researching this and sort of finding out that that's why this group was so popular because they were intended to be this this means to uh, change human society so they would be more ready to accept the new reality. And then they're like, well, what the heck happened? They built this huge area as the, the initial place people would pass through when they were entering this other, these other dimensions and stuff. But it all got shut down. It didn't happen. The project was canceled. Right? So at some point in the story, the characters will somehow access a different timeline. Right, so this this is where it gets kind of confusing. There's, you know, parallel worlds, but they essentially are, um, you know, like just different planes of existence uh, in higher dimensional geometries. But then they get to another timeline, which is a, a version of this world where, so so here's the story: the characters get to this other world, or perhaps they access the same um, uh, a welcoming plaza but now it's different right it's in a timeline where they really did open the gates up in 1970 and this is now how whatever 50 years later is that, is that step? yes about right 50 years later this is this is a version of the world where that plan went through right and the um the entire human race was introduced to this interdimensional society and now has had 50 years to adapt to it, right? And they visit that world where, uh, which was so different than the world. The 50 years are so different, right? In the world, it's, it's almost completely unrecognizable. All of these technologies from other worlds have been introduced, right? It's, it's become a completely different kind of place. And then they go back to, to our world and see all the crummy strip malls and all the broken down cars and all the, 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 the news of political scandals and wars and pandemics. And, and they're like, what the hell? What the hell happened? That other world is so much better. I, I, I mean, I, you know, the, the, like all of those major problems, no more war, no more disease, right? 
what the hell? Why? What? So they did go through with a plan, but somehow they preserved both potentialities. They they created a, a branch of reality where they did go through with the plan, and the world was completely transformed. But they also created a world, a, a, a branch where it. They canceled the plan, sealed up the uh, welcoming chambers, and uh, st- and now the world the world is actually kind of similar to how it was in 1970 in many ways. Obviously, there's been some advancements, but we're still living. If you want to talk about a day to day existence, kind of like people lived in 1970. You have a house, you have a car, you have an apartment, you go to work, you go to school. <laughs> yes, there's 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 a. Uh, Higher resolution TV sets. We, we our computers have have gone through major advancements, but in general, I mean, a lot of aspects of our lives are fairly similar to how they were in 1970. Um, so then they start getting the information that whoever's in charge of this, there was a big disagreement that some people felt that some of the Anunnaki or some of the aliens, whatever you want to call them, felt that. Um, it was it was the right thing to do to tell everyone the truth because this this project on planet Earth had gone on long enough, and it, it felt like to continue to deceive this huge population of intelligent beings was wrong, right? And on so many levels, this kind of uh, deception. However, another faction said, "Certainly, we agree with you that this is this is uh, unfair, unkind, and." Certainly, it's a deception. It's a lie. But the specific world that ha- that exists here is still worthwhile. There's nothing else like it in the interdimensional society. The way these people live on planet Earth. There's a lot of bad parts, but there's a lot of great parts as well. And if we open up the gates, right, sure, a lot of stuff will be improved, but we'll be losing that uniqueness this world had. So a compromise was formed. Um, they decided to branch off two realities, one where the, uh, the plan went through and one where it didn't. But as they found out about this, they discover a third world, a world similar. It's, it, this would be strange. It's a, it's a, a third reality where... It's and it, again, it's it's twenty twenty three and this story, but they go to this other world and it's slightly different, right? And what happened was that was the original split, right? The world where around nineteen sixty, they completely did not implement any of these plans. There was no Beatles. There was no psychedelic revolution. There was nothing, right? And so that split of a world that just kept going, right? Uh, the world was perhaps a bit more... I don't know what would happen with it. Was it a bit more boring or maybe... Maybe that was a world where the um, the promise of technology of the early 60s, especially if you, if you look at the New York World's Fair of uh, 63 and 64. Was it 64 and 65? Whatever it was... Uh, that the world really did was much more advanced 
and uh, a, b- a bit of a nicer place. There, in a way, it almost mirrored the other world because even though they never told people the truth, right, they were allowed to pursue a technological and societal advancements to create a world that was much more uh, stable, you know, but much more boring, right? So that so that so that world, the 2023 of that world, where they never did any of the preparation work to open the gates, was nice but kind of boring. So it turns out the third world, the world that we live in, is the one where they went through up to the last second with all the preparations to throw open the gates, but then they didn't. They didn't throw open the gates. And that created sort of like the depression of the 70s, right? And made this world extremely much weirder than it otherwise would have been. So the characters realize they're living in this, essentially the third, they're the third timeline where uh, all of the preparations were made and yet the project was canceled at the last minute. And uh, they start to question, well, who is playing games like this with billions of people's lives influenced? Some people living in incredible misery because of these world changes and is it all justified right <laughs> i don't know i just think i think it's a great story i love i love the idea of that as a story and then it's sort of like this almost decadent um the the, the group that is supporting the these changes or these experiments with branching off the timelines justifying it because it's a kind of art it's like a, the world is a work of art, and by uh, splitting the timeline off at, at various times, then, so, then the characters. This would this would be sort of like the end of season one. They, they they were sort of investigating and visiting and understanding the three worlds, right? But then at the end, they enter a new understanding. They, they come to some sort of place or some sort of information that it's not just three, that there's hundreds of different subworlds. There's one where they threw open the gates in the 1920s, one where they threw open the gates in the 1870s, and that there's, there's like hundreds, if not thousands, of just versions of Earth where they've been sort of mani- manipulating events around this um, opening up the interdimensional society and that then they're considering to be <coughs> you know that's a real kind of manipulation and it's sort of being done for the sake of art but is it is it really okay but anyway just as an idea for a tv show i i, I don't know if i mean i and again i have not researched this extensively i don't know if anyone else has really come up with this this kind of uh concept I know there's been a ton of shows about time travel, different timelines, right? Obviously, Man of the High Castle is a show about uh, the world if the uh, the Nazis and the, the Japanese won World War II, right? And that's a, a very detailed uh, representation of that other timeline where very simply the, uh, the Nazi, the German Nazis developed the atomic bomb before the U.S. did. 
they nuked uh, Washington D.C. and and forced America to surrender. Of course, the author of that story, Philip K. Dick, uh, publicly claimed that he didn't make up that story. He actually lived, there's a version of him that lived in that other reality and that he recovered a complete set of memories from his life in that timeline. And he wrote the book based on his recovered memories. Now listen, the guy could have been nuts, we don't know. But there's footage on, on YouTube of him at a uh, science fiction convention, in I think in France in the 70s, and he says, you may think I'm crazy, but I'm going to tell you this right now, this is not fiction, this really happened. That timeline exists out there, you know. But the, uh, I don't know if they really get into sort of like, so the, the mech, the, the nuts and bolts of it, how do you, how do you, branch off these timelines um, there would be some technical way of um, creating too in fact there was that great TV show called um, Counterpart right? that was a really cool one which really talked about a method of creation of these two worlds so it was a this experimental chamber in Berlin, Germany I think in the 80s maybe it was 80s or 90s and it was sort of an experiment that went awry and uh, basically created this uh, two like this two copies of the world but they were exactly the same right but slowly over the course of time they started branching off and changing right and uh, in this case the actual methodology of how do you branch them off, I'm assuming it would involve some sort of technology. But then, once you've branched them off, how do you make them different? And this is where... <laughs> Sorry, the people across the street are pulling garbage cans up this long walk, long stairway. <laughs> That's what you're hearing. Um, so once you branch the worlds off, you need to have uh, a capacity to make big changes Otherwise, why would you even bother? So that's why there is this uh, sort of uh, existence of these right, powerful, shadowy groups that exert great control over our world. Uh, you know, the, the word we use today is Illuminati, this sort of uh, super powerful secret group that controls everything. But the reason they would exist was because there needs to be a capacity to uh, make big changes in the world so that these timelines can develop the way that these cosmic artists want, right? So I think in the show, when the full extent of how they've been splitting off the world and making changes, almost like almost random changes, oh, let's have a world war now and see how that affects the world. Oh, let's have world peace and see how that affects the world and like how they're sort of playing with people's lives and uh, causing mass amounts of absolute mayhem and devastation and destruction and misery in the course of these experiments or these art projects and the moral implications of the whole thing. I think that would be such an interesting TV show. But anyway, so today's show art, it was just, 
I was going down into my basement, and uh, the sun was streaming in through the window of the door. So it's a door that just has a window on on the top. And um, and I realized, you know, when you see something like that, it's a very rare moment because that exact angle of the sun will only happen like once a year, right? And maybe next year it'll be cloudy when that moment comes. And uh, so, you know, and uh, so it's kind of a, a very – and then the quality of the light, of course, is atmospheric conditions and everything else. So, like, it's almost a unique thing. So I took a picture of it, and I really love that picture because it's sort of looking down the stairs. The light's coming in. There's that bright part on the top, and then there's, like, some plants down there. And it just sort of reminded me of that whole, um, you know, the, the reception plaza concept from the Beatles theory. So that's why I called it. So it's sort of like uh, – was they call it Reception Plaza Scene One? <laughs> I think it'd be a good TV show, though. But ah. anyway, it's just a frivol, so it's done. I got it out. The idea, I, but I think it's a cool idea, though. Ooh, sirens in the distance. Hey, it's a bit later on now. So, you know, the big uh, big anniversary is coming up in March, the 20th anniversary of the Overnightscape. I'm still really trying to figure out what I'm going to do for it, but uh, we'll do something big. But there was another, there was another anniversary, uh, you know, as you remember, what was it? Uh, yeah, like last year, it was the 15th anniversary of... Um, you know, the, the dawn of the Overnight Escape Underground in 2007. But one I missed a few weeks ago, the 10th anniversary of The Other Side. Yes, The Other Side started uh, with the dawn of January 2013. That's when I started including The Other Side with uh, The Overnight Escape. And uh, I missed that, but I'll mention it now. So, so many anniversaries. 10th of this, the 15th of that, the 20th of this. It's a lot of years. A lot of stuff going on. Um, <coughs> also, last week, I uh, I did the month in review for December 2022. Now, this uh, was something, as you know, right at the start of this year, I, I, I brought back the uh, the meta level of the Overnightscape Underground, the UG tracks, from way back. Uh, the last time I had them was back in 2009. So it's sort of just reviving something that already was part of the Overnightscape Underground. And I figured one of the biggest things to do with it was to sort of do a talk about the shows that are on the Overnightscape Underground. Because originally, right, those meta tracks, UG tracks, were in between other tracks I was playing. And I would say, hey, you just heard this, this, and this. Um, I mean, things have changed a lot since then. But I figured a month in review would be a great way of, of achieving this. And uh, I started off last Monday. Uh, I recorded the first part of that using, uh, you know, kind of like randomized two-minute segments. But as the week wore on, I, I had, I you know, I had only done that first part. And as the week wore on, I was thinking about, you know, this this method isn't really working. Let me try something else. So I came up with this idea. Uh, basically, uh, <clears throat> essentially, it's right to take a, like a two-minute, <laughs> around a two-minute clip, but not 
right at the beginning, right? The, it's good to sort of move into the show a little bit. So using the number 209, my favorite number. Uh, well, it's a number that has uh, been a big part of my life for some reason. But anyway, so the idea is we're going to go uh, 209 seconds, which is three, three minutes, 29 seconds into each show. And then from that point, uh, get uh, two minutes and nine seconds of material. And I really had no idea how that would work out, but it's, uh, I did the whole month in that method, and it, it sounded great because I think around that time in everyone's show, they're kind of getting into, in, in, into the heart of the matter, talking about stuff and not the introductory stuff. So that was really cool. So I did the entire month week by week. You can listen to it. It's called UG Month in Review, December 2022. And um, I also... With, uh, you know, in mind of when I did it, I was like, well, you know, should I have been doing this all along? This seems like a cool thing that could have been part of the Overnight Escape Underground for, you know, but it just hasn't been. So I decided to do kind of a, not entirely random, but a a week from the whole history of the Overnight Escape Underground. Um, I chose a week. In this case, I think it was um, May 2012, week three. And that was amazing to go through. There was so much stuff going on. So I think that's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the month in review and then find one week from the entire history of the Overnight Escape Underground also to review as a, as a way to, to, to maintain a more, more of a, a, a meta hosting level. I think what I came up with it actually was, uh, was pretty good, and I, and I really enjoyed doing it, and hope, hopefully you enjoyed that. Anyway, on Saturday, <laughs> I went down to uh, see my father. So I drove down. I, I, my, my usual route, I, I have, like, have it all planned out. You know, I drive down Route 46. I stop by that PJ's uh, coffee, get some coffee there, and uh, then go down 287 to Green's Market and get some food and go to my father's house. And <clears throat> My father's doing good, so it was great to see him. On the way home, though, I decided to revisit a uh, <coughs> a road. Last time I tried to go down this road, I wound up getting extremely lost. This is Route 124 uh, from 287. That used to be Route 24, but then it became 124. This is the, the road that goes p- uh, p- through Madison, New Jersey, and Chatham, and eventually winds up at Short Hills. And uh, last time I tried to go there, I wound up getting completely lost. This time, I had completely researched how to do it, and I I noticed the mistake I had made. There's a blatant sign that says 124 to the left. I don't know why I turned right last time. I just, I I, I don't know what happened. I had some sort of weird mental block or something. Um, So it was great finally driving uh, down 124 through Morristown there, then... uh, (coughs) <coughs> it was a convent station. Finally to Madison, I drove past Drew University, that school that so much stuff happened. It felt kind of weird driving past the school. Then I got to Madison, and I decided I wanted to check out this bookstore, Chatham Bookseller, right? I mean, I'm assuming they started off in Chatham and then moved to Madison, right? Um, this store was there back when I was in college in the 80s. So I would go there quite a bit. They also had uh, a feature. They have a bookshelf outside, right? The, the entrance door 
this it's sort of recessed. So this is bookshelf out there with like you know cheapo junky books. That um, it's but it's protected from the elements by because it's inset a little bit. And I remember you know the, <laughs> the idea is you're supposed to like slip a dollar under the door or something if you take a book. <coughs> it's like on the honor system. I always put a dollar under the door if I if I got a book there. But I remember buying books there a couple times. Um, one of my favorite books I bought there was the um, the reprint of the uh, what is it the 1937 Johnson Smith catalog with a forward by Gene Shepard. I bought that there, and I think the last time I was there was probably about ten years ago. I, I mean, I haven't really been there a lot, so I've been meaning to stop by there. There's kind of a there's a parking lot back there that's very hard to find a spot, so I had to go around a few times, but I did get a spot. So I went in there, and I was talking to the guy. I'm like, yeah, I used to come here uh, in the 80s. He's like, oh, that, this guy Frank owned it back then, and uh, <clears throat> you know, I bought it from him. So I guess I was amazed. I'm so happy it's still there. right? It seemed like the kind of place that uh, a little used bookstore, of all the stuff that's happened since the 80s, that it's still there. It's, it's very, it is a great uh, comfort that it's still there. And they had a lot of great stuff, including a, a, an ephemera section with lots of like magazines and printed materials. It's really cool. I mean, I, I could have spent at more hours there, but um, I wound up uh, finding in the ephemeris section, there's a whole Beatles binder, and I found two of the Beatles books, and I talk all about them in the Beatles se- se- segment of uh, the Central, part two. And um, and I, every time, so I've had this personal goal to get a certain book, right? Uh, this is The Sotweed Factor by John Barth. Now, I think I heard about this book in my sort of investigation of postmodern literature. And remember those pages I, uh, I found about um, lost, neglected, or obscure like literature? Um, that, so that came up in all these researches as a really good book. So I downloaded a copy online, but it was like a, an e-book, but it, was like, it had been OCR'd, so it was full of all sorts of errors. It was like almost impossible to read. I tried to push through and read it. I got to the first few chapters. I'm like, listen, I can't do it. I'm going to have to get a, the actual book. The only time I ever, ever, ever saw it in a bookstore was on the shelves at uh, The Strand. I don't know why I didn't buy it, but that was the only time I ever saw it. So I'm like, <coughs> I'm like every time I go to a used bookstore now, my goal is to find this book in a store. Uh, of course, I could buy it online, but I, it, it was like my goal. I'm going to find this book in a store. So many used bookstores I've gone to. I always look for this book, never find it. Um, there was another quest I had like that, which was uh, there was this Dragon Magazine archive. It was a, a bunch of CD-ROMs that contained every issue of Dragon Magazine by TSR, you know, for the Dungeons & Dragons. And by the way, I do want to talk about Dungeons & Dragons a little bit later too because it seems like they've kind of destroyed Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> it's this whole thing. Anyway, we'll get to that a little bit later. And I remember every time I went to any kind of a software store or bookstore, I always was looking for this Dragon Magazine archive. And it took years and years and years. Finally, I found it. And I actually, there's a recording. I think it's in the archive of, um, right? It is in the archive. When I finally got it at like a a Walden Books at the Wayne Hills Mall in, in Wayne, New Jersey. That mall, I think, is gone at this point. I was trying to see if I can find... Did I? Is that in there? Hold on a second. We'll find it in a moment here. The Dragon Magazine thing. Hold on. <coughs> uh, pause there for a few minutes. Um, 
Yeah, so it was it, I, it was in the summer 2001. It was Tapeland 20 Dragon Mag Archive. And that's where I, I'm assuming I was driving around and recording anyway. I wound up at Wayne Hills Mall, not a place I, I went that often and can't go anymore, obviously, because it shut down. But, um, yeah, wound up at the Walden Books or whatever the bookstore was there and found that archive after years and years of looking for it. So that was probably a, a 90s thing for me. It was so great to finally get it. So in this case, I had sort of a similar quest. So I asked the guy, do you have this book, Sotweed Factor by John Barth? And he's like, yeah, you know. So he he had a first edition. He's like, I have a first edition with a beautiful cover. I'm like, great. He's like, it's $160. I'm like, oh, boy. Oh, I've been wanting to find this book in a bookstore. It's been this, like, weird personal quest. and. So he showed me the book had a really beautiful cover by it was actually by Edward Gorey, like a really cool typography. It was wild. And I'm like, yeah, oh, it's beautiful, but I, I don't know. I don't I don't know about this. I would love to. It's very tempting, but $160. So then he puts down in front of me this. Uh a paperback copy. Five dollars. I'm like, yes! So I had two copies of this book. And this is a pretty good copy. It's just like a it's a little bit just brown with age. This is the um Grosset and Dunlap edition from nineteen sixty six. The book originally was published in nineteen sixty. Ah, smell that old book smell. Not too much, but anyway, so now I can read this copy. Cause I don't think there was ever like a an audiobook of that <coughs> online. I do like doing audiobooks too, but anyway, I got the book. I was so happy. It was amazing. And uh, so when I left, uh, and by the way, the book, let's just see what the book is about, just to give you a little, I mean, I kind of know what it's about. Let's see if there's a synopsis of it. It's a, sat- a satirical epic set in the 1680s to 1690s in London and colonial Maryland. The novel tells of a fictionalized Ebenezer Cook who was given the title Poet Laureate of Maryland by Charles Calvert, third Baron Baltimore, and is commissioned to write... A, Mar- a Marylandiad to sing the praises of the colony. He undergoes adventures on his journey to and within Maryland and while striving to preserve his virginity. The complicated Tom Jones-like plot is interwoven with numerous digressions and stories within stories and is written in a style patterned on the writing of 18th century novelists such as Henry Fielding, Lawrence Stern, and Tobias Smollett. Oh yeah, and there's the, there's the actual cover from the first edition that I did not buy. But anyway, um, then I went over to Dunkin' Donuts because I remembered that there was this Dunkin' Donuts in that video, right? Which was, uh, was it Weasels? Was it Weasels 89 or 88? What was the name of that? One of the Tapeland videos, yeah. Weasels 89. Tapeland video. So Tapeland 162. And this is, is it, this was filmed on February 4th, 1989. And if you may recall, we are filming in that Dunkin' Donuts for quite a long time. And that same Dunkin' Donuts is still there, but it's been completely remodeled. And I have not been back since, as far as I know. So I went there, and even though it was hard to sort of tell where, you know, because they actually made the donuts there at the time. as as On the video, you could see them making the donuts. I figured I would buy something there. <clears throat> and all they had, they, I, I figured I'd buy some, uh, you know, coffee pods, K-Cups. They didn't have the regular, so I bought vanilla coffee cups. That's what I've been drinking, a lot of vanilla 
Dunkin' Donuts coffee from the Dunkin' Donuts at. Oh, obviously now it's called it's called Dunkin'. It's not called Dunkin' Donuts anymore. Um, the one that's featured in that video. So <clears throat> that was a lot of fun. And then I decided to keep going down 124 all the way to the Short Hills Mall. I had gone to Short Hills, I don't know, a few months ago, but I figured I wanted to go back. And I didn't really quite... I remembered there was some weirdness about going there. There's like... There's a spaghetti of roads around Short Hills Mall. Um, and I didn't really preview how to get there, but as you're driving, there is this sign that says, turn this way to go to Short Hills Mall. But then you're on your own because there's no more directions. But I, I kind of had a sense of which way to go. Let me look at a map here of this whole this whole place. <clears throat> what is the situation? Yeah, so basically... Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm trying to figure out where did I go. Oh, okay, I see. I see. If, if you look, so you can see, like, basically it's... Route 24 goes by there, but it's intersecting with this Route 649 or JFK Parkway and then 124. It all kind of merges together there. Okay, so I went and did this sort of jug handle kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but it is it is kind of a strange mall. It always was sort of like the pompous mall, right? This was a mall that, even from a long time ago, was... Uh, <clears throat> considered like very high end, very pompous, you know. In fact, I remember an incident, me and Mad Mike. So in college, I was at Drew from, uh, you know, 85 to 87. Then I transferred to NYU. <clears throat> I, uh, you know, we met, he was a year ahead of me. We started our radio show, Anything But Monday. And then we, uh, the next year, we continued the radio. We got kicked off the air. We had controversies. We started a magazine. We made videos. We were getting in all sorts of trouble. They wanted to kick us out of college because of our offensive content in our magazine, yada, yada, this whole thing. And I've talked a lot about trying to really interpret, you know, we were kind of obviously both very influenced by those 80s movies, you know, 80s teen movies where the kind of surreal world that the characters in the movies were living in we kind of wanted to pattern our lives after like those 80s movies characters <laughs> it was weird because like I, I mean i think like yeah mike sort of was more he had seen more movies and was more directly influenced i, I mean when i first met him he was wearing hawaiian shirts that he was influenced by a spicoli from fast times at ridgemont high he worked at a movie theater and I was very weird back then. Even well, I don't know if I'm even weirder than I am now. But anyway, it, it was just a strange uh, time. So we decided that we wanted to go to the Short Hills Mall and like harass people at these high end stores for some reason. I don't really remember. I, I just have I just have bare memories. But the idea is we wanted to like be completely disheveled. Um, we wanted to. So I guess we didn't like shave or bathe for a few days and we were wearing like like army fatigues or something like army jackets and then we went to the short hills mall and we just went in these stores that were sort of harassing the people of these super expensive stores i don't think we got kicked out i forget exactly what happened it was a big nothing you know like nothing happened it was no big deal we didn't do anything we were just there we wanted to see if they would kick us out because we were we looked like these bums 
barely remember that uh, that story, but maybe Mike remembers more of it. I don't know. Anyway, um, and as I've been there a few times, if maybe a couple times in the past couple years to, to Short Hills Mall, it's still super pompous. They have all the high-end stores of everything, Louis Vuitton this and whatever, all these all these stores. And uh, the one store that's really good there is uh, uh, Indigo, which is like this bookstore that has really, really good like art books and uh, coffee table books and a bunch of other stuff. But the mall has this sort of insufferable sense of pomposity about it. Um, anyway, I work for a fashion company that's sort of a conglomerate, and some of our stores are in the mall. So I figured, you know, I would stop by and say hi, which is very interesting. It's like I always have very different experiences going to each of these uh, stores saying that, oh, I work for the company and... You know, I, I think I, I think at times that that you know the high up people have oh go to the stores and say hi to your coworkers in the stores and you know it always sometimes I've had amazing experiences like in London. There's been times I've I've had amazing conversations. People were so friendly, and other times, really weird people like who the hell is this guy? Does he really work for the company? You know, all like a whole range of different um, reactions because I don't I, I don't look like someone obviously that's into fashion. I'm not into fashion. That'd be a joke, you know. We're gonna set them, set them, riding on a pound note. Why, why did I just suddenly quote Adam Ant? I don't know. Anyway, don't drink, don't smoke. What do you do? No, but I'm not into. So anyway, uh, I went to these stores, and uh, there was two of them. I one of them got a very kind of chilly reception. I'm like, hey, whatever. And then the other one, also a bit of a chilly reception. But I was t- I was talking to them in there. And um, it turns out the guy had been working at the mall for a long time. I'm like, you know, yeah, I used to come here in the 80s and stuff. But I'm like, when I was a kid, I came here in the 70s and there was this statue or this sculpture. It was like a wooden sculpture of numbers. It started, it went from like nine to one, this towering sculpture, like the number nine and the number eight was on top of it. It was this incredible, like complete landmark kind of thing that, I was associated with that mall. I have this rare memory of being there like in the 70s. And I think my brother had this Snoopy doll that you could buy clothes for. You can buy like like the World War One pilot costume or like a surgeon costume. You, I've researched this on the show in the past. The, the Snoopy that had uh, clothing that we would get at like the Macy's or the whatever Nordstrom that was there, whatever store was there. Then I also remember seeing, uh, going to a store in, and I've actually found this product, and I, I, I do need to make a note of this, the Luncrane Broxton thing. It was a little keychain that was filled with water, and it was like a Perrier bottle. And uh, there were all these little bubbles in there, and you had to try to get them back in the bottle. It was called Low Key, L, apostrophe E-A-U, Key, you know, sort of a play on words. Low Key, as it sounds like, Low Key. Uh, but L, apostrophe E-A-U, it means water in French, right? And I found a website all about that company. I'll see all these memories of Short Hills Mall. Um, I don't think we'll get to that today, but I have I have a, a link that I didn't get to yet. That's amazing, but I made a note of it. Anyway, I I, I figured, hey, here's a guy that and I, I didn't want to take up too much of their time, but I'm like, hey, do you remember this statue with these numbers? He's like, oh yeah, absolutely. 
He's like, that used to be right outside the store I worked in. And there used to be trees in the mall, too. Every part of the mall had a tree also in it, like this giant tree. I'm like, really? I don't remember the tree. And, he, and I'm like, well, when do you think that uh, statue went away? He's like, in the early 1990s, they tore it down. I'm like, yes, I finally got the information I've been looking for. I'm like, all right, thanks, bye. It was it was a bit nerve-wracking. It was a little weird going in there and, you know. But it can be a rewarding thing, you know, to talk to people and, you know. Anyway, I felt almost a little bit like I was sort of raiding these super expensive places where I didn't belong as sort of an echo of that event back in the 80s with me and Mad Mike. It felt a little bit similar, like I was going in and wasn't really welcome, you know. <laughs> but what did I expect, you know? What, the, what do you want? It's not for me. I, I'm sorry. I, 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 I can't afford to spend $2,000 on like a t-shirt or something, you know. I know some people, it's a drop in the bucket, but I, I'm not like that, you know. <clears throat> yeah, and there were some cool uh, Beatles books at Indigo. I took a picture of that. Talked about it on the uh, Beatles recording. Yeah, from, from there, it is actually kind of confusing getting out of there. The whole surround, the road surrounding them all, everything is very confusing. It's very maze-like. I almost got on 24 going the wrong way and then I just wound up going back into the mall like another ramp and finally found my way to 24 East which takes you to 78 which takes you to Parkway which which got me home. So that was cool. <coughs> the next day I did the exit ramp. This is the group show that uh been doing since the since 2020 sort of since the pandemic we do it on Zoom. Everyone's invited. You know, I, I, I do a private invite list, but I always announce it on the Facebook page and on the chat room. Anyone that wants to participate, please let me know. For, we do it once a month, around the middle of the month. Um, this one was called Clocks and Coins. Very well attended. I think 13 attendees. And it was a great one. Went over five hours. It was one of the longest ones ever. It, the conversation just kept going. And uh, it was a real great one. Thanks, everyone that showed up for that. But that pretty much... I usually do it on a Sunday. I pretty much, I am so shot by that. I, I have no energy. It drains me incredibly <coughs> doing exit ramp. Um, as as you may know, if you've had to do like Zoom calls for work, it is somehow counterintuitively, it's very draining just to sit there and look at the video. I love it though. I love the show. I am so happy that people are still coming on and it's 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 a, it's a thing. I mean, the exit ramp is a great show, as you know, if you've heard it. So I love doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. But as I say, it's it's a bit tiring. Um, <clears throat> then yesterday, was it yesterday? Yeah, yeah. Yesterday I, I did the Beatles part two. So this is how much I had to say about the Beatles. I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I did the 45 minute part one. Then I started doing part two. I'm just going all over the place, all playing Beatles records, looking at books. Going, I was like, playing Beatles interview. I mean, it just kept going. I, I had so much to say about the Beatles. And um, <clears throat> it went, it was over two hours long. So I, I don't know I hope if PQ is going to split it up or what's going to happen, but wow. And um, and I, I found this. I didn't know this existed. There's a movie, The Making of a Hard Day's Night, hosted by Phil Collins from Genesis. It turns out he was in he was in a hard day's night. He was he was like a teenager who was one of the kids in the the audience screaming for the Beatles. He was in the movie. I couldn't believe it. 
And, 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 and whenever Phil Collins comes up, I like to mention that when I was an intern at MTV News back in 88 and 89, I was walking down the hallway, and who was walking the other way? Phil Collins. He walked, I walked right past him. It was amazing. I, I just remember he was rather short, but anyway, it was just so cool. I, 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 I recognized him from his 80s songs, but I, didn't really, I wasn't really a, a Genesis fan at that point. I'd become more of a Genesis fan as time, as time went on. Um, but yeah, he was in the movie, so I have to watch this making of. Is this is this him talking right now? Let me see. <coughs> I think we have it here. One thing I could never figure out was what happened to one of the songs they did the day I was at the filming. I thought that maybe I'd just counted wrong, but when the soundtrack album came out, there it was, right on the record. I always wonder why You Can't Do That was cut out of the film. You Can't Do That was one of, I think, six or seven songs which we recorded in the theatre... The, the, which became the television scenes. And we just felt that we had too many songs at the end. Now, for the first time in 30 years, here is the song you never saw. Really? Wow. Some things that say that might cause you pain. If I said she's giving you that boy again. I know the content of this song also was something I believe they were, you know, not too happy with. This guy telling his girlfriend he, she can't talk to other guys or something. You can't do that. Interesting. I gotta watch that. I didn't know that existed. Yes. And if that was not enough. Uh, after I recorded the Beatles stuff, I started playing around with uh, a new video for uh, Tapeland, Tapeland video called The Complete In Ramble. You may or may not re recall this video project I did back in 2008. I made 143 episodes of this uh, video series, of which almost all of them, the, just the last few weren't uploaded. Almost all of them are still on YouTube. It was my idea of going around New York City with a little video camera, um, filming quick little segments. And um, since I started the video Tapeland video project, I've been wanting to preserve aspects of my video history. And this one was uh, absolutely something I wanted to, to do. Let's see where I'm at now. I'm, I'm actually watching through. It is uh, four hours, 42 minutes long. Let's see. Here's the one I'm on right now. Oh, I'm on. Uh, I'm on the bus. It starts off. I'm filming on my Trio 680, my little Palm smartphone. The video is so low res; it's so pixelated. But about 40 minutes in, I get the Flip Video Ultra, which is a, a, a much better resolution, a much better video camera. So I just combined all of these clips. I actually f had to find the hard drive I had in my closet that had all the original videos. And I was able, amazingly, using a shortcut, this video editing program, to combine them all very, fairly easily. And um, I also found the original source of the InRamble logo, where it says InRamble, go on a quick video trip. And I uh, put that in the lower right corner. I actually did research. I did research. Uh, I was watching live television on uh, YouTube TV to see how the channels they put their logo in the lower right corner 
usually sort of a a white with uh, Hi, Frank, and this is in like a little bit of a, a, a my cat, Mr. Jesse. Jesse. He's typing. Go on, type, kitty. Type on the keyboard, kitty. Come on. Type. Oh, is this this was the segment that they that they used on on I can has cheeseburger, type. right? I swear he was typing before. Jesse, come type. <laughs> Jesse, look, he's typing. Look. Type. <laughs> I think they used that in I can has cheeseburger. Type. Remember that whole incident? <laughs> can you type? <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Um so I put it in white. I actually made an SVG of it, and I, I brought it in and positioned it, and then I gave it like 75% opacity. I think it looks good the way I have it. It, 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 it just sort of gives the whole thing kind of a vibe and an identity to have the logo in the corner. Um, so, yeah, now I just have to watch through the whole thing. I've, I've, this is about an hour in. I have to just – it's four, four hours, 42 minutes, kind of a long video. But this is the complete in ramble, and this is something I've been meaning to do for a long, long time. And I hope you really enjoyed it. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a great one. Great video. I've been really enjoying it. It's like, uh, you know, the subject came up on the exit ramp of, um, you know, would I be interested in doing video projects? And I said, I mean, I've really dipped my toe in the video world a lot over the years, but it just always seemed that uh, the audio side was, was better for me. And uh, so, um, and you know, what was it? A recent episode, I, I wound up, at that place I call Oceana Plaza. That's the place where that camera, I was going to sort of, I hadn't done in Ramble for a few months and I was going to bring it back. But inexplicably, the camera just stopped working. That's when I started the Rampler. So it was like this weird moment. Talk about a timeline shifting. It was a weird moment where like things went in a different direction. Um, but, I, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to releasing this, uh, the complete in Ramble. I mean, the thing is, I put all these videos out there, and they they got almost no reaction. There was no interest in them. There was right that was really the main thing. There was no. Oh, here's another one. What's this? I am Frank, and this is in. What I'm trying to say is, there was no. They had no momentum. Like I, I wasn't really encouraged to keep going because no one seemed to care about them in the least. You know. We're here at the Catherine Hepburn Garden. Uh, it's here by Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza. This is 15 years ago. Look how young I am. And uh, this is a strange little park. We're going to head in here and see what's going on. It's uh, very cold out. It's winter. There's construction noises from what's going on next door. I don't know. So there's all these quotes from Catherine Hepburn all over the place here. Here's your uh, description. Here. Anyway, i got to keep watching that. But uh, keep an eye out for that. I'll hopefully get that out soon. And it's interesting. I when I When I use the complete... Um, for these, I've done used that naming for a lot of these videos because it's the complete set of the content. I'm using EAT at the end, C O M P L E A T, because it's sort of a riff on what the complete angler, which was a book, and the complete strategist. But it's interesting in Magic the Gathering, they have uh, the the next set coming up is Phyrexia, all will be one, and this is sort of like uh, almost like the Borg or the Cybermen, this sort of like this faction of evil beings that try to convert everyone into these part biological, part robot creatures. And when you are converted to one of these monsters, you're, you're considered completed, completed using that same spelling. So that was kind of weird. Yeah. Anyway. 
that's what's going on. So I've been doing a lot of projects. I've getting a lot of stuff done here. Nice. So in other news, the font I used for today's show art to write out Reception Plaza Scene 1 is a font called Engels Gold. And it's on this website by this, uh, it's called Peter PeterWeigel.de. So Peter hyphen Weigel, W-I-E-G-E-L dot D-E. There's all these free fonts on here. And this one is called Engels Gold, and there's a story behind it. I guess Engel means angel, right? Angel Gold, Engel Gold, Engels Gold. And this is auto-translated, so... Uh, let's see. In the Rhineland Pal- Palatinate town of Baumholder, it stood opposite the town hall for over a hundred years and shaped the townscape. The Hotel Goldener Engel. Right? However, it stood empty for years and fell into disrepair. So, in 2007, the city decided to purchase the house to save it from complete decay to house a cultural center with library and regional museum in which the importance of the U.S. garrison should be presented. After an architectural competition and secured funding, the Hilla engineering office from Ingolstadt got to work. Although the house then had to be demolished and rebuilt in the old style, the golden angel that gave the name and the gilded letters and the lettering on the facade were also then were then also secured. And here you reported in the typography.info forum if anyone knew the writing. They would also like to have it for future printed matter from the Cultural Center. It quickly became clear that this font did not exist, but a very similar replacement could not be found either. So then I drew this font. So wow, this is a quite an interesting font. It really, I mean, at first you look at it, it feels a little bit like... Uh, there's there's some uh, Futura in there a little bit, but more like uh, Bauhaus, right? Those kind of fonts, and then you realize, yeah, it's kind of a mix of all these things. So maybe they were all just custom made, right? So it's a very cool font. So somehow I had downloaded it before. I don't know if I ever used it before, but yeah, just go to PeterWeigel.de and you'll find all sorts of fun fun fonts. Right? I think the guy said, what did he say? Translate it here. Translate English. Por favor. Where's the translate button? Come on, man. Can't read this German. Why can't I translate it? Hmm. Let's try again here. Hello, Freunde. Does that mean hello, friend? Some reason I can't I can't translate it. Wow, that's weird. Hmm. Anyway, I think he said something to the effect of that now that he's on like a uh, a pension, that he's not allowed to make money. So he made every he made all the fonts free. You know. So anyway, there's something like that was like the story behind it. And there's the story of the font. And in yet other news, I want to say that I got a high score on Flea Devil Solitaire. I'm pretty much, I believe, the only person playing it in the entire world right now. Um, you play a sequence of games. Each game could, uh, you could score or you could crash out and, and, and get a strike. But I, I recently had this incredible game, nine, 19, you know, 19, se- 19 games in the session, 
and a total of 1,240 points. I think that's my high score with the modern rules, with the finalized rules. I was so happy to get that because, you know, like, but let's see, before that, what did I get? I got a, I got 162, 560, 186, zero. I had a three strike in a row. I did have a 779 a few weeks ago, a 262, a 400, but man, you always, I'm always looking to get over, over a thousand. So that's, that was great. And you can find the rules in the latest edition of uh, the Onsug book. Please try to check it out. I, I want more people to play Flea Devil Solitaire. It's a great game. I play it all the time. I love it. And I have some good news here. I, I know this, the news is almost always bad, but there's some good news. Finally, De La Soul, the uh, hip-hop group, uh, their albums are finally coming to streaming. A few of their later albums were on streaming, but the first three albums, Three Feet High and Rising, De La Soul is Dead, and Balloon Mind State, have never been on streaming. Though the albums have been on uh, YouTube, um, it's been much harder to listen. So March 3rd, 2023 is when they're coming. And as I said many times, I think that De La Soul is Dead is, I would, if I had to come up with a list of the 10 best albums ever in any genre, the entire history of humanity, De La Soul is Dead would be in that top 10. It is that good. It is one of the best albums ever. It really stands up. It's so complex. There's skits. There's music. There's so much stuff going on. Check it out. I mean, you can check it out right now on YouTube or wait until March 3rd and you can listen to it on your favorite streaming service. Really important stuff. And, uh, you know, the first, those, al- those three albums were along with Prince Paul, the producer. So when, they, when, when there was no more Prince Paul, the things changed. And uh, I think Stakes is High also is not on streaming. That's going to come. That's the fourth album. But I would really point to Dale Soul is Dead as the uh, utter masterpiece. I don't think any of the other albums would be in the top ten albums of all time. Now, come on. That's a tough, that's a tough uh, echelon to be in. Now, come on. So it's it's been a tough time if you're a nerd in a number of ways because uh, a lot of your favorite brands of your nerdy stuff have been kind of imploding recently. It's like a nerd implosion. <laughs> Call it that nerd implosion. Yeah. There's been a lot going on. Um, one of the things is that this just news just broke. Justin Roiland, one of the creators of Rick and Morty, apparently has just been accused of, uh, you know, like assaulting his girlfriend at the time, and he's under court orders, and everyone's now assuming that Rick and Morty is finished. I have not, I have, I've watched all of Rick and Morty, and, you know, I've, I do like it in a mildly, but if it never came back, it wouldn't bother me too much. Uh, it's such a popular show. I don't know that... I mean, he may get fired. He does the voice for Rick and Morty. So, I don't know if there's any updates on this uh, this situation, but that definitely hurts hurts the nerds a lot. Let's see. Any, any news? Did they cancel it yet? <laughs> Rick and Morty canceled? No. It's so popular. It was renewed for like 10 years or something. And then this thing happens. Sure. Rick and Morty co-creator Justin Roiland 
awaits trial for domestic violence against ex-girlfriend. Rick and Morty canceled after major scandal. Hmm. Let's see. Oh, then the other guy that created the show, they said he was sexually harassing women too. Uh-oh. Well, something similar happened to, uh, what's his name, John Chris Falusi with uh, Ren and Stimpy. Somehow if you have one character and another character, Ren and Stimpy, the guy created it, being like this old scumbag abusing women, and then Rick and Morty, is the same thing happening? I don't know. Let's see. Will the show get canceled? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see, but um, Magic the Gathering has been uh, very controversial. Also, I do play Magic the Gathering exclusively on the computer. I play on um, Magic Arena. I don't play Paper Magic. I don't play Magic Online. But, so what happened was uh, the company that created Magic the Gathering... um, 30 years ago was uh, called Wizards of the Coast. And they got so big, they actually bought TSR, the company that produced Dungeons and Dragons. So then they owned Dungeons and Dragons. Then they themselves got bought by Hasbro, the, uh, you know, the toy, the Titanic toy company. And uh, they're still owned by Hasbro. So it seems that They own Magic the Gathering and Dungeons & Dragons, two absolutely beloved fantasy gaming, uh, 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 just huge fantasy gaming uh, properties, right? And it seems that the corporate corporate overlords have been uh, pushing them to make more and more money, which is causing them to kind of destroy all the goodwill and their entire reputation in the process. Magic has had these endless missteps, especially Magic 30, which was, this was like a month or two ago. Um, Because Magic the Gathering, it's collectible cards. And some of the cards from the first sets that came out in 93, 94, some individual cards are worth like $500,000 each. That's how crazy it's it's become. And they swore they'd never reprint certain cards on uh, on this list. But they created a set called Magic 30, which reproduced the cards from that set, including some of those cards that would otherwise cost hundreds of thousand dollars each. However, those cards are not considered playable cards. Now, this is where things get weird. It's a card game. If you have a card, you can play a card. But they're saying that these cards are not tournament legal. They're just proxies. So everyone, when they heard that, and I was watching the announcement, there's like, wow, that sounds like a cool product. You buy some packs. It's like, it's like the old days. Maybe you can't technically play in a tournament with these cards, but it'd be cool to have these cards anyway. It's like you're opening the packs. And I, and I did actually, back in that time period, 93, I bought some of those packs and had some of those cards that are worth $100,000, but I got rid of them in the intervening years. I had some cards that are worth $50,000, $100,000. And I, I remember I gave them the Mad Mike, then he gave them to someone else. We never knew they were going to be that valuable. That's not even the saddest story. Brian from the Three Weasels had a vast collection of magic cards that, from how he describes it, in today's, in today's market would be worth several million dollars, without a doubt. 
multiple copies of Black Lotus, Power Nine, etc. He sold. He he needed money in the '90s, later '90s, because he was moving and he sold everything for like fifteen hundred bucks. It, it would have been worth millions, literally. Not even no hype. Millions, multiple millions of dollars. His collection would have been worth, but he sold it for like fifteen hundred. Anyway, so this uh, this product there. Oh, to celebrate thirty years of magic, they're like we're gonna reprint the old set. They're not technically legal, but whatever. Okay, everyone's. So they're going to come in packs of four, four packets, you know, little contain. Each packet of cards has 15 cards in it. We're going to sell it to you in, uh, in, a, in a set of four. So you buy this box and it has four of these uh, packs of cards that you can open. So you get 60 cards total. Great. Sounds like a great product. How much is it going to be? $999.99. People were like, wait, what? $1,000? Yeah. For four packs of 15 cards each, so 60 cards, they're not even legal cards. Yeah, $1,000. That was a massive controversy, utterly ridiculous. And these companies are just, uh, you know, what they call whale hunting, right? The average person that plays these games is a regular person. They don't have that much money. But some people that play these games are wealthy. And uh, they want to go over those people because they can make a lot of money off those people. Yes, you can make a lot of money off those people, but you're hurting their reputation and the goodwill towards your brand by doing that. Because you want to rub it in people's faces that they're not rich? Oh, well, this product isn't for you. You're not rich enough to buy this product. product. Meanwhile, it's the regular people that made this what it was. That was a scumbag move. Absolute whatever. And they've done more stuff now. I mean, it just keeps going there. They've been accused of printing too much product. They have these things called secret layers where they reprint cards. They've been suing uh, people that have websites where you can make custom cards. They've just been doing every, every bad PR move because they're doing it to make money. But it seems like they're ruining their entire brand, right? They're ruining the brand, and it just gets worse and worse all the time. So I'm not even like so I do check news about Magic the Gathering because I played that that game version. And by the way, beyond all these controversies, it's a great game. It's an incredible game. It's very expensive though, no matter how you play it. I do spend quite a bit of money on it and I still can't play constructed because I don't have enough wild cards. I play uh I hate play historic brawl. But anyway, on the Dungeons and Dragons side. So this this is company, Wizards of the Coast, owned by Hasbro. After months of this Magic the Gathering uh, debacles and public relations, absolute disasters, and just endless bad press, right? Even to the point that they had to have a fireside chat to talk about, you know, because they were big, you know, and they, their stock has been crashing because, you know, they've been... They've been pushing all of these decisions to try to make money, but it would only be to make money this month or for the next three months, but you're ruining your company and the brand looking out further. Pennywise and Pound Foolish, right? Is that, is that what they say? Something like that. So you thought these folks were done. They left the worst. The worst than any of this other stuff was this Dungeons & Dragons thing with OGL. 
right? Now listen, Dungeons and Dragons, the role-playing game, I have to say I've hardly ever played it. I just, I had all the books growing up. I had the Monster Manual, the Fiend Folio, the Player's Handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide. I was super fascinated with the concepts behind it. I even got that blue box uh, back in the 70s of Dungeons and Dragons. And I was, we were reading, my father and I were reading it. We were like, this game is so complicated. No one could ever play this game. But <coughs> yeah, I never really got into any gaming groups, you know. So I've only played here and there a couple times. Uh, which is weird because I've been so interested in it, but I guess I'm just not very social. <laughs> anyway, um, so I've been following the scene and especially interested in sort of the old old school rules, people really into the early days of Dungeons and Dragons, so sort of the black and white artwork and just the whole vibe of it. And again, as I mentioned, I used to love Dragon Magazine and read it all the time. So what happened was, I guess about, I guess in around the year 2000, Dungeons and Dragons... The company, uh, you know, Wizard of the Coast, they created this. They wanted to encourage people to make their own content for Dungeons and Dragons, right? So they created the OGL or Open Game License, and this was a way, almost like a Creative Commons license. This was a way to tell people that they can create material using the Dungeons and Dragons rules. Um. But it's an open license, so you don't have to get permission. And it, right, it was a way of creating a, a fostering a community. And apparently, this OGL, this open game license, was brilliant, and it worked great, and it created mass interest in Dungeons and Dragons, all these podcasts, all these adjunct games, and everything. And D and D has become bigger and bigger all the time. So, on that call where they were talking about. Magic the Gathering, they also were talking about how they felt that, I think they mentioned that Dungeons and Dragons was under-monetized. They're not making enough money off it. Though it's rather successful, they could make more money. So the news just broke, I guess, last month that they are going to uh, update their their game license, essentially rescinding the game license and um, destroying that entire community by replacing the old open game license with this new draconian one which had so many requirements to pay them money if you made over a certain amount of money to report things that they own everything you that you produce using this license it was insane it's one of the most insane things i've ever seen and everyone is up in arms about this Everyone started boycotting them, canceling their subscriptions. There was some sort of D&D subscription. I don't even know what that is. And uh, they basically, I mean, it seems like everyone said this new license, no one would even use it. Not a single big or small company or individual would ever use this new license. They would just make their own games. I mean, it's one of the biggest, it's just an absolute corporate misstep that is so utterly insane. And now this company, Paizo Publishing, that does Pathfinder and Starfinder, they're going to create the ORC, O-R-C, which is the new perpetual, it'll be a similar license, but they're going to make sure it can never be rescinded. By the way, no one's even sure that this one can be rescinded. They have to go to court over it, though. 
So the company, it's just, it's sort of fun watching from the sidelines. This company, so successful, just completely destroying itself because people in the, the owning corporation demanding more and more money that they don't even understand the games. They don't understand the communities. They just want money and they don't care. It's just weird because we want money. Okay. Well, this is what we can do. We can start to, no, no, we want money. Okay. Well, we could charge a thousand dollars for this, charge a thousand dollars for that project. I know, but you'll make a little bit of money now, but it's going to ruin the make money now. No, but don't you understand? It's in years from now, we'll have less make the money now. Shut up. No, but it's going to ru- make the money now. That, that's my how I understand. What about this license? If we revoke this license, it's going to ruin the community. But then we'll make more money. Well, you might make more money, but you make more money. Revoke the license. Like it's this like monstrous, mindless, like corporate greed that is, inter- you know, as it intersects with these fragile uh, you know, nerdy, the nerdy pursuits, right? People form their identity from that they play Magic the Gather- Gathering or they play Magic or play Dungeons and Dragons and it's sort of this kind of a fragile thing, you know? So there's a lot of boycotts going on. Now, of course, something similar happened with uh, uh, Overwatch, right? The game I played, Overwatch 2 especially, this company Blizzard, which has itself been the subject of endless controversies, so much, uh, you know, abuse and sexual harassment and absolute bad behavior by by the company. Again, it's a company Blizzard that's owned by uh, what? What is it owned by? Um, Activision, right? <laughs> Amazingly, sort of the same company that made like Pitfall back back in the eighties, but has developed into this massive like evil mega corporation and they've been doing the same thing they've been destroying their brands as well like i I play hearthstone and uh you know i still play it but they're doing these cash grab things like buy this one digital version of a card for 25 dollars and again they're whale hunting and it that does not feel or look good to the regular people that don't have that kind of money they're just blatantly selling things for hundreds and hundreds of dollars, whatever, trying to get the whales to buy it. They never used to do that. It used to be much more subtle. It wasn't like in your face. F you. You're not rich enough. This isn't for you. It's almost like going to the Short Hills Mall when you're playing a game, for God's sakes. So Overwatch 2, they kind of ruined it. It's like there's almost no progression. And they're selling these skins, these costumes for the characters for like $20, $30 a pop. They never used to do that. Just and, and Hearthstone is the same way. They're, they're, they're selling whatever. But it's weird that they were able, all of these things were able to kind of get along without being so blatantly self-destructive. I don't know what exactly is going on. It's happening all around. And perhaps, you know, tangentially related, uh, the K-pop group I like, Luna, um, it's a bit of a different situation, but just to make it quick, you know, they sign these the members of these groups when they're very young. And it's imagine like when, when you're in a band and you sign with a record label, how screwed you are. 
right? You know all those stories. You just you're signing away everything. You're completely screwed. You won't make any money. It's a tons worse in K-pop. So it got so bad that some of the members had to sue the company to try to get out of their contract. So one of them, Chu, got out like last year, and then they fired her. So now the group was incomplete, and then nine of the remaining 11 members also sued, and now four of those nine got out of their contracts, but five are still in. The, it's a big mess. Again, it's like this corporate mismanagement and greed, like ruining art and fun and games. It's just unbelievable. It just keeps going and going. But it just seems to have gotten a lot worse lately. You know? Really, man. It's a big drag. It's it's a nerd implosion. <laughs> yeah, I remember remember I was at the New York Comic Con a couple years ago and I kinda had this revelation about you know I know it's I, I know it's kind of become tiresome to say Oh, I was one of the original nerds, and now everyone in society has become a nerd. They're all into superhero movies and stuff. But I was alarmed that all these adults were just obsessed with cartoon characters. And now I know it's okay for me to be obsessed with cartoon characters, but I don't want everyone to be. (laughs) It's not healthy for society. Aren't there these people known as adults that don't like cartoons? They, I don't know, what do they do? They play golf and eat steak. I don't know what they do. They're adults. What do you want? You know, like there should be some, there should be like some adults out there. I don't know. Um, but you know what I'm saying. I enjoy being kind of a nerd and kind of a, you know, in, into those kind of things. Comic books and video games and stuff like that. But that everyone is. And I said, like, it's not just that all these adults are into cartoons. But it's like, it's all owned by these massive corporations and these people like base their lives on these cartoon characters and these superheroes that are owned by these sort of... It's hard to even call them evil. They're just sort of these... Monstrous might be a better word because as I was describing, the corporations, they sort of can't help themselves. You know, this ever-seething mass of different people that are at the helm of these beasts of commerce (laughs) uh, can't help but make these horrible decisions and do these horrible things. And... uh, the characters we love are owned by these mega corporations, you know. But on the flip side, kind of what I was talking about earlier, the uh, the weird balance that exists here, the kind of um, bizarre business that we do in this uh, on this planet, is part and parcel of that unique look, tone, and feel of this world that makes it worth being in, right? So what's the alternative? Some sort of utopian paradise where everyone is nice to each other and people can make up characters and there's no companies to destroy them. and That'd be a whole different scene, right? And maybe, like in the story I was talking about at the beginning of this episode, Maybe that world would be kind of boring. (laughs) Right? I don't know. Yeah. 
But yeah, related to what I said at the beginning, I mean, I really like these theories. I really dig them. They're fun to think about, but I, I do always step back and say, as much as you like these ideas, probably they're not true, and there's no proof for them. So enjoy them as ideas. I'm just talking to, my, like, talking to myself. Enjoy them as ideas, as possibly what might be going on in this world, but I always want to make sure not to cross over into in, into belief in these things, and I and I uh, you know, and I think that's something that everyone has to deal with. You know, uh, it's so easy to fall into belief. Um, is this one world out of many? Are there interdimensional portals? You know, maybe, maybe, but maybe the traditional explanation is true too. It is just some sort of randomized universe, and. We're on this ball floating through space. That could all be true, too. I, 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 I acknowledge that. We don't know. You know, is it, a computer, is it a computer simulation? Is it all made up by an AI? Yada, yada. All these things. Is it, the, AI, the AI thing is getting a little wor- worrying. You know, and these aren't, this is not even the big AI. These are little AIs, you know, the, the imaging and stuff and... I didn't even try out chat GPT. We were talking about it on an exit ramp, the uh, the one that just types out things that, like it'll create an entire d- written document based on what you ask it to say. Now kids in school are just having it write essays for them and it's hard to detect that it's, uh, it's made by the AI. Ay, ay, ay. What's going on? Oh, ay, 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 ay. See, AI, I, I, I. Is that, is that what I've been saying all this time? AI, 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 I, I, I. Hey. Well, in Japan, doesn't I mean love? I think so, from what little Japanese I know. I. I love you. I love you. Remember that, that in that Boards of Canada song? I love you. What song is that from? I don't know. Tells off with Boards of Canada, they have to make a new album. Apparently the consensus in the fandom is that Boards of Canada is going to put out another album at some point. That they feel that uh, sources close to the band have confirmed there will be a new album. It could come out this year or it could come out 20 years from now. No one knows. But yeah, as I've, as I've been saying so far this year, 2023, it feels, it feels, this, feel, this year feels different. Feels different. Feels like, uh, you know, a lot of stuff's going to happen this year. And you just got to, you know, just got to deal with it. Just got to roll with it, whatever. Surf the waves of chaos. Was that one show title I did? Every Wither, just surf the mind warp. Yes, we have to surf the mind warp of 2023. Yes. (laughs) Wait, let me write that down. That's a good one. Ah, what do you want? I think every year I think there's something weird's going to happen that year, and things do happen. But anyway, I'm just saying it feels different. It could just be all in my head, but something feels different about 2023. I started feeling it since like the moment it turned in, you know, 12 12 12 a.m. on January 1st. Like the moment it started, I started feeling something different in 2023. And if I had to guess, it's that. Something has changed behind the scenes in some way. So things are going to change to some extent to reconfigure, to face the future better in some way. 
I don't think I'm putting that the right way. It's just some kind of setup of the world, you know, the world society, the world economy, whatever, has to change or shift a little bit to keep going. I know it's awfully vague. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Oh, what do you want? Anyways, I'd like to thank you for patching in to this episode of The Overnightscape. I am your host, Frank Edward Nora, here in Nutley, New Jersey, in January 2023. And we're here inside The Overnightscape Underground, an amazing project. It's a radio station inside a book. And uh, just go to onsug.com. O-N-S-U-G, that is the short for Overnightscape Underground. That was the whole point. That's where Onsug came from, right? I had The Overnightscape and the website was theovernightscape.com. Already kind of a long thing to type in as a web a web page. So then I had the Overnightscape Underground. It's a lot longer to type in. So I'm like, well, why don't we just make an ac- O-N-S-U-G. No one's using it. I got onsug.com. So that's how it started. Uh, but if you go to onsug.com, you can hear all the latest shows. And you can access, you can buy the copy of the book, you can download the book in PDF form, and you can also check out the entire archive on the Internet Archive. It's all there on onsug.com. You can also participate in a show called Overnightscape Central, as I was mentioning, doing some major Beatles topics lately. And uh, we'll see if we're going to do a week three of the Beatles. I don't even know. I could do more Beatles. <laughs> but I already did two two hours for one episode. That's I usually do like 40 minutes. So, listen, I can't help it. Certain topics are just too good. I have to talk about the Beatles. But please participate. You are invited to participate in Overnight Escape Central. Please check in and listen to the latest episode to find out how you can participate. We would love to hear from you. A new topic each week. But yeah, this project is, uh, right, first and foremost, we have a, a very unique style here. Right, This show, The Overnight Escape, has been going for almost 20 years now. And I have this monologue format where I talk about all this different stuff. There's no set topics. There's the other side of the Overnight Escape, which is coming up soon. Collection of found audio and music. And um, we're very focused on uh, people listening in the near and far future, right, to be archived. That's why it's in the form of a book. A book is a, is, is, a, is an object that is expected to exist on into the future, right? Where many other objects are very ephemeral, a book feels more permanent. So both as an object in physical reality, in a virtual universe, and as a, as just as something in your mind you think about, a book feels more permanent. That's why we're a radio station inside a book, because we want people to listen in the near and far future. And we're a non-commercial project. We're not a corporation. We're not even a non-profit. We're not, there's no money. It's non-commercial. How does it work? Well, we all love doing it, and we all have kept our day jobs, and uh, so it's become like a hobby for all of us, though it's a, it's a bit all-consuming just to be a hobby, but yeah, I don't make any money at this. It's non-commercial. The book, in fact, you can buy. I don't make any money off it. It's just print-on-demand, and I get zero dollars and zero cents commission on each book sold because I priced it that low because it's non-commercial. I know that sounds crazy. considering the cupidity in the world we're living in and the stupidity, but also the cupidity (laughs) to not be commercial. How could you not be commercial? I don't know. 
people say, why you need to make money? Why? So you can be happy. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm happy doing these shows, but I, so like, doesn't that like, can I just bypass all money thing and I'll have a job to pay for, to pay for my life. But otherwise I'll do this show that I love and you know, that'll make me happy. Among other things make me happy too, but you know, in the bottom line, if you're talking about a carrot on a stick, I mean, you know, I can just eat the carrot by doing my show. I don't have to, you know what I'm saying? No, that does, does that make sense? It doesn't really make sense. Anyways, you get the idea. We have over 13,000 hours of content in the archive and growing all the time. That's a year and a half of audio, by the way. Thank you. Anyway, now it is time as that car enters that garage with sort of a weird yellow tone to the light. Will the garage door close? No, I don't think they can. I think those people, they don't really have like a tunnel going to their house. I think they have to exit through the garage. As, as you are, it's strange, they're exiting and you're entering this. The other side.
you uh, take a look at a uh, pattern, and you just about know exactly what stone to pick up to put on to make that, that tight cut. Of course, if you don't know that, well, you're not no glass cutter. It's just like an artist. He knows what paints to use to make a different color. We use a cork wheel to polish the blemishes that are still being manufactured. Stems, we generally polish them on a natural cork. Like Presume, I don't know, but I presume we're probably the only ones left today that make up our own corks. And all that, we use a combination of rotten stone and pumice stone as a mud base to polish it. The cork polishing is, is very effective and it's very brilliant. Uh, wherever you can use it, that's what we do. we have, we have to acid polish it because you cannot get down to those real small cuts. Any man tells you he, he can cut anything, or you're looking at a lot of Because there isn't a man alive that can cut anything. In two years, you can learn how to cut miter, but you spend the rest of your life and still never do a floor photo. It's more demanding. It takes an entirely deep concentration at all times. You can't be under any pressure. As you notice, there's nobody walking around. There's nobody leaning over your shoulder. They leave you alone. You know your job. You, you go ahead and do it. The shame is not any more of us than what they are, but most of them are died off. There is a personal satisfaction that you get that you achieve something. But uh, after a day's work, you're tired like anybody else. And you're ready to go home. The red lead paint will not come off with water. And that's why we use red lead paint, so that in the cutting process, we're not erasing our, our guidelines. So it's a banana, oil, and water solution that... Uh, is used at the end where it's washed and uh, wiped. It smells like a fruit market in summer. My mama cooks in Italy, mama swims in Argentina, mama's got a chunga yeah. My mama swims in Venezuela, mama likes Cinderella, mama's got a chunga yeah. I say hola hola. Hola, Bossa Nova I say, yeah, 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 yeah I got a chunga, yeah Daddy's got a 
Daddy Road, Don Quixote, Daddy Road, Tell me your day, Daddy's got a chunga, yeah. I say no, 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 no. No more tequila, no. I say yeah, 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 yeah. I got a chunga, yeah. American Express Building. In the federal and states area, the U.S. Federal Pavilion, the theme for which is Challenge to Greatness. Maryland, Montana, West Virginia, New Mexico, along with the Long Island Railroad, and Illinois, with an animated, lifelike figure of President Lincoln. Next, Oklahoma and Hollywood. New York City has a scale model of the entire city of New York. Twenty-one small pavilions represent the counties of New Jersey. Six New England states banded together to bring you Pops concerts, seafood, and small country stores. Louisiana, Minnesota, 
Wisconsin has a giant-sized cheese. Missouri shows their role in aviation. Alaska, a white igloo, naturally. And Westinghouse updates their 1939 time capsule. New York State with their tent of tomorrow and their towers, the highest point of the fair. In the industrial area, the House of Good Taste and the Mormon Church with their tabernacle choir. Next, the Festival of Gas with the Kitchen of Tomorrow. Equitable Life Assurance is keeping track of our entire population. And IBM has the big egg-shaped building. Oregon, the Hall of Education, the Pavilion of American Interiors, the latest and most colorful in home furnishings. And Simmons, where you can rent a bed and rest. Travelers Insurance add their big red umbrella. Formica has their World Spare House and the Bell System with their floating wing featuring a story of communications. The wonderful world of scouting. And right next door, the Russian Orthodox Greek Catholic Church displays the Virgin of Kazan. General Electric's Theater of Thrills and the first public demonstration of nuclear fusion. Clairol. Parker Penn will help you select the perfect pen pal. Rheingold Beer and their little old New York. Scott Paper, Continental Insurance, and Chunky Chocolate round out this group of buildings. On to the Better Living Center. Julemar Farms. Schaefer Brewing has one of the world's longest bars. Pepsi-Cola with a cruise around the world. RCA with color TV that will locate lost children. National Cash Register, the Protestant and Orthodox Center. Allstate Properties, Macy's, and Dynamic Maturity. Coca-Cola has a huge carillon and their total experience tour around the world. Back to back with Coca-Cola for some strange reason, 7-Up, featuring an international garden of sandwiches. And at DuPont, live musical shows and the wonderful world of chemistry. Johnson's Wax, General Cigar, Electric Power and Light with their Tower of Light visible in at least four states. At Eastman Kodak's Lunar Landscape, you can walk out on the roof and take pictures on the moon. Then relax in colorful and picturesque settings in the Pan American Highway Gardens. In the international area, the Vatican Pavilion with Michelangelo's Pietà, the Belgium Village, and the Garden of Meditation, the Christian Science Building, the Hall of Free Enterprise, and the American Israel Pavilion. France and Sweden feature traditions, cultures, and handicrafts. The Swiss Pavilion is at the base of the Swiss Skyride. Pakistan, the African Pavilion, Malaysia, and Sierra Leone. Then sermons from science and three more countries, Guyana, Japan, and Austria. Morocco, Sudan, Greece, and the Jordan exhibit displaying the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Philippines, Lebanon, and the United Arab Republic. Here, Polynesia, Indonesia, and Panama feature everything from food to dancing to pearl diving. And the Republic of China shows art that dates back to 3000 B.C. Steel bands and the Calypso are in full swing in the Caribbean exhibit. Mexico has Omega sculpture and Thailand with a reproduction of a Thai shrine. Spain with flamenco dancing, Spanish art, and three very elaborate restaurants. Colorful Hong Kong and Venezuela. Denmark with the miniature Tivoli Gardens. The Green Building is obviously Ireland with plenty of Irish coffee. And here too are the exhibits of India, Korea, and the Wycliffe Bible Translators. The cylinder-shaped building is the West Berlin Pavilion 
and for Faith at the Fair, the Masonic Center, and the Billy Graham Pavilion. Singer Bowl, the site of U.S. Olympic trials, across Grand Central Parkway, and on to the transportation area. Ford has a magic skyway ride through a time tunnel in a convertible. Eastern Airlines, then on to the wonders of the Hall of Science and the U.S. Space Park. Davis has an antique rent-a-car ride. At Sinclair's Dinoland, you can hobnob with life-sized animated dinosaurs. And while you're in the land of giants, take a ride in U.S. Rubber's giant Ferris wheel. Then on to SKF, where motion engineering is their theme. General Motors will drive you on a belt-driven seat to outer space and to a city of the future. And there are spectacular things to see in the transportation and travel pavilion. Greyhound handles the interfair transportation and has a post-house restaurant. Sacconi has a driver game for you where you match skills with the drivers on the economy run. The Port of New York Authority building has the heliport, the top of the fair restaurant, and the terrace club. And Hertz invites you to stop by and let them put you in the driver's seat. Visit the underground world home. Then on to the Chrysler exhibit where you'll walk through a huge engine with a 50-foot dragon crankshaft. In the lake amusement area, the Hawaiian pavilion features hula dancing, luau's, and erupting volcanoes. Florida's exhibit is topped off by a giant orange and has an exciting porpoise show. AMF's monorail, 40 feet above the ground, will take you on a panoramic tour around the lake amusement area. There's the Continental Circus, the Santa Maria, International Wax Museum, and Chongqing Inn, set in the delicate beauty of a Chinese garden. Literally a myriad of services and amusements, and a restaurant to please every taste. U.S. Steel's mighty Unisphere, the symbol of the fair, peace through understanding. The Astral Fountain, the Lunar Fountain, the Solar Fountain, the Central Fountains, and the spectacular Fountain of the Planets, signifying man's reaching for the stars in his hopes and in his scientific aims. Peace through understanding.
Osmond into the windup, and down it comes. Duke takes the fastball at the knees for a strike two, and it's one and two. One ball, two strikes. Rosen has, re- has faced four batters, retired them all. He got the Zimmer with two on and got him to hit the double play, then struck out Koufax in the third. Got Ambrose and Gilliam on rollers here. Snyder swings a hot one past first foul, and the count stays at one and two. The Pirates lead the Cardinals one to nothing at the end of two and a half innings of play. Yankees six. Cleveland won through three innings of play at Cleveland tonight. One and two, the count to Duke Snyder. Two outs, none on. Dodgers six, Cubs nothing. Brosnan into the windup, and down it comes. Curveball high, and it's ball two. Even count now to Duke, two and two. Balls, two strikes. Big Jim winds and fires to Duke. Swings and chops it foul, rolling back behind the plate into the Dodger dugout. So the count holds at 2-2. Tomorrow night, these same clubs play at Roosevelt Stadium in Jersey City and then back again to Ebbets Field on Thursday. Friday night, Saturday afternoon, and Sunday a doubleheader with Cincinnati here at Ebbets Field. the pitch. Swung on a miss, strike three. Snyder going for a slow curve is out on strike. For Brosnan, strikeout number two. And that is the 14th strikeout in the ball game. Pilots, man your place. Flying off is okay for pilots, but don't you go flying off in all directions when it comes to buying a car. No, sir. Go to Rose Oldsmobile, the oldest franchise Oldsmobile dealer in the capital district. There must be a reason why so many people keep coming back to buy from Rose year after year. Over 67% of Rose Oldsmobile sales are to repeat customers. Yes, one reason. Rose is the most economical place to buy your car. You get a good deal from Rose Oldsmobile. Their modern shop is so completely equipped with late modern factory-approved equipment for continuing warranty work that ensures satisfaction. Another reason to buy from Rose Oldsmobile. Only the finest and late model cars are traded in on new Oldsmobiles, and Rose offers their wonderful selection of carefully driven cars for your inspection. So, when it comes to buying a car, come to Rose Oldsmobile, satisfying customers at the same location for 30 years. That's Rose Oldsmobile, Corner Central and Banning, the Capital District's oldest franchise Oldsmobile dealer. Pick up and see the Dodgers of Jersey City. coming on to bat in the fifth inning now against Sandy Koufax. Dale Long, first batter up, struck out first time up, and is hitting 241. Left-hand batter against Koufax, and now has posted eight strikeouts. Cub pitching has recorded six so far. Fastball comes in low to Long, and it's ball one. One ball, no strikes, fifth inning, Dodgers six, and the Cubs nothing. Long, Neiman, and Luttrell, first three do up. We have some bullpen activity now for the Cubs, indicating the possibility of a pinch hit if we get down to the pitcher's spot. Ball 
ball two. Down to Long, and it's 2 nothing now. 2-0 count, Long waiting. In the second inning, Kofax struck out the side. Here's a fastball to Long. He takes for a strike, and it's 2-1. Two, two balls, one strike. Top of the fifth. Long wearing number 27 on the back of the gray uniform. 2-1 pitch. Low for a ball three. Three and one. Chicago's had two base runners, both on walks off Colfax. So Sandy's been mowing them down. Starts to pump and holds up. Gets a new sign from Joe Pignatano. Here's the windup and the 3-1 pitch. Inside, ball four, and Long is on to start the fifth. Walk number three off Colfax. And it brings on Cal Neiman. He struck out his first time up. Neiman is hitting 265. Right-hand batter. Pretty good-sized boy, Cal Neiman. One on, none out. Fifth inning, Dodgers six. Cubs nothing. Joe Pignatano down to give a sign. And Koufax now working out of a stretch for the third time tonight. His curve is low for a ball, and it's one ball, no strike. In case you joined us late, Brooklyn got three in the first off starter Dick Drott, and then got three more in the third to drive him to cover. Here's the pitch. Strike called on a fastball at the letters, and it's one and one. Cal Neiman hitting in the number seven spot. The shortstop, Jack Luttrell, do up next. And then the pitcher spot, Jim Brosnan. Kofax stretches again. The pitch up high with a fastball, and it's ball two. Two and one.
No. No, no, no. It was just a song about coffee, all right? That's it. No, I was not singing. No, hold on. Hold. I was not singing some sexist devil song. Wrong. It was about coffee. Simple enough. Yeah? Yeah? All right. I'll tell you what. You got so much free time. Go down to the record store. Start sticking some warning labels on stuff down there, okay? But lay off of me in the HBG show. Thank you very much, ma'am. No. All right. Listen, don't sing me your blues. You can't take care of your kid. It's your problem. Sorry. Bye. Man, drag. The song that I sang, did you hear that at the beginning? How I like coffee? Simple little, I like coffee. It might as well have been Java Jive or something. And I'm getting all these calls from parents, probably your parents, about how I'm the one who's making you guys drink coffee and turn out rotten and other things that I can't even name. All right? You name it, they're dumping it on the Gruber's doorstep. That's great. Now, now they know where I live. Let's. Can I help Whoa! You? Hey, Gruber. It's the king of How coffee, you doing, man. Whoa! Can I help you? Gruber, man, you're fantastic. We were listening to your tunes. It's the coffee guy, man. It's the coffee guy, dude. So me and my friend are, you know. My name like is Weaver. You are. I'm Weaver. I'm Craig. And we were listening to your tunes, so we like dropped out of school, and now we're going to start worshiping Satan. Yes. And all sorts of freaky things that our parents are going to be really disturbed and go, wow. You, um, you guys, <clears throat> I hate to say that, I think you misinterpreted the whole song. And, I mean, not that there was no. any interpretation to it. No, we didn't. No. And you know what? After our parents' heads are all messed with, then we're going to... May gonna I? Go, you know they're gonna go. Yeah, whatever. Our our boys are so troubled. Not my show anymore. Well, uh, we're gonna. My friend here and I are gonna. We're gonna do a suicide pack thing yeah. and like die with like a copy of your song in my pocket. No way, man. We agreed the song would be in my hand. You know, I'd be like laying there and like all dead and stuff, holding Gruber's song, and then the people would go, "Whoa, that dude really loved Gruber's tunes." No, man. No. Okay, then we're gonna have to get two copies of the song because. I didn't, I didn't, I don't want them to say that, whoa, that dude really liked his tunes like, and you'll be the dead guy that's that, and I'll just be some dead guy next to you now. They'll call me the friend of the guy who liked the tunes. That's right. That's nowhere, man, no. No way. I, mean, I was messed up with group songs just as much as you were, and I don't want people at school going, man... We can't even, we can't have a graduation ceremony because the tune guy and that other guy died. No, man, I must insist that we establish the some suicide pact equilibrium, whereas that we be equal tune guys in equal standing are, in the community's grieving mind. Are you high? We agree no, that the song would be not, high. I, I am not high. I would be Craig, holding the song. I got asked the same question. This isn't coffee. What causes this sort of brain? Gruber, no, it's you, man. You are El Rey de Caffeine. All the kids at school are wearing your T-shirts and your whole line of... You guys, hold Time out. I sang a song about how I'm reasonably fond of coffee that I might drink a cup in the morning to wake up. That's it. You guys have totally twisted it. You're saying that coffee song wasn't about Satan? It wasn't a disturbed teen devil song? Not at all. It's a song about coffee. Oh, right? man. That's it. I, I wrote a song about it. That's it. So you mean the word coffee doesn't mean Satan rules? No. Oh, That is boy. totally bogus. We would look incredibly bogus if we had their suicide pact, right? And I'd yeah. have Gruber's song lyrics in my oh, hand man. about some tune about a caffeinated beverage. And I'd be the 
friend of this stupid dude. Oh, right, yeah. man. Imagine that. Well, let that be a lesson to all of you young people out there. Take it from the Gruber. That and you Craig. Have, and Weaver. If you have to rock, rock safe. Okay? Rock with the Groob. Do not rock with these guys. And don't, or don't rock at all. Gruber, no. you are indeed a dude who relates to today's youth. Exactly. Yep. True indeed. Thanks for saving our lives, man. Yeah, man what, Gruber, whatever I can do, man. You are the, the Groob Meister General. General. You are. You rule, Gruber. Say hello to the new kids on the block. Hello? Hello? Hiya! But don't panic. I mean, I'm only cutting your hands. Stop it. Stop it. Oh, let me catch my breath for a second. Now, is that anything to be ashamed of or disgusted by? It's the kids in the hall. Tonight at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, only on the Comedy Channel. Come on. Take out your dentures. It'll be fun. I'll cuss your head. <laughs>